it's a strange thing to preach the Word of God on a nearly weekly basis. Each sermon is kind of a concoction or a mixture of ingredients. The main elements, of course, are prayer and study of the passage. There's a dash of historical context, a pinch of language and grammar, a touch of interacting with various previous scholarship. Then there's meditation on the text, a mystical, or mystical mixing of text, context, and of course, taking into consideration the congregation that one is preaching to. I guess that basically makes me the mixing bowl. It's real flattering. Uh, but the weird thing is, is that even though I am a preacher, I'm also a parishioner. I'm your brother. I'm just part of the church as well. And, and sure, I, I preach the Word of God to you, but I also preach the Word of God to me, like every week as I prepare. And as these words are coming out of my mouth, I'm realizing I'm hearing what I'm saying. I have to wrestle with the text all week before I preach, and some Sundays that is so much easier than other Sundays. This is not one of those Sundays. This Sunday we find ourselves focusing on the fourth of the Ten Commandments, the commandment to practice Sabbath. And sadly, this is one of the weeks where I have failed to adequately practice Sabbath. With a full week of work, plus unplanned extras, as is pretty common for a pastor, uh, plus soccer schedules, two family events surrounding Samara's birthday, and my wife running the Parkview Elementary Jogathon, it's safe to say I overextended myself this week. Call it poetic justice, irony, humorous circumstantial timing, God's sense of humor, call it whatever you want, although I'll call it crappy timing. I get to preach on Sabbath to you today on the one week where I pretty failed, failed miserably at it. And I will say this, you know, like most weeks I'm pretty good at it, but anyway, would you stand with me as we read the Word of God? This is from Exodus 20, 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you, or your son, or your daughter, your male, or your female servant, or your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Lord, I know that these commandments are good news. Sometimes they make us feel guilty, sometimes they feel archaic, but we want your help today to help us to see how this is a good news message for us, how the commandment to rest and keep holy of the Sabbath uh, points to something greater, points to you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, thank you for your ministry that, as always, opens the word to us and makes it come alive in our hearts and in our minds. Help us today to hear you. Amen. You may be seated. Most of us, when we hear a commandment or a rule or something like that, it's tempting to jump right to the question, tell me, how do I do this? How do I follow this rule so I can check it off my list? What does it look like? Am I doing it right? What day of the week should it be? Yada, yada, yada. Right? So we want to know that part of this commandment. We could try and address all of these questions, but I fear we would end up at the wrong answers if we don't first ask two primary questions, and here they are. What was the Sabbath? 
And why did God give us the commandment to Sabbath? I think if we answer those questions, we're going to encounter some surprises, and these surprises, I think, will influence our answer to the question, how do we practice Sabbath? So what's being commanded here anyway? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. The Sabbath command is in two parts. The first part is to remember or observe or practice the Sabbath. On the seventh day of the week, the Israelites were to do no work. They were to cease from their labors. Their farms were to rest. Their families were to rest. Their hired hands were to rest. They were to rest from their labors that produced a harvest and profit and economic growth. You see the theme, right? (laughs) The first part of Sabbath is to rest from your labors. The second element to Sabbath is to keep the day holy, to make it a day not only to observe the commandment to rest from your labors, but to engage in holy activity. So it's not just a stopping, but it's also a starting of something different, Um, to worship. For the ancient Israelites, just as in many Jewish circles today, the Sabbath was a day to worship together, for hearing the scriptures read, for reciting the scriptures and prayers and stories of God. It was a day of remembering that God is the good provider of all good things, that the world won't fall apart if you and I stop working for the day. It was a day to remember that our bodies and our minds and the land all need rest. We are not limitless. You are not God. I am not God. We have limits. Even the Jewish day of reckoning time was influenced by this way of thinking. In Hebrew thought, the day started at sundown. The idea being that the first thing we do each day is go to sleep. And when we wake up at the sunrise, God has already been holding the world and the universe together for eight hours while you did nothing. It's a reminder built into the way they saw the cycle of the day that the day starts with our rest and that God is already active when we wake up. God sustains us while we sleep and while the whole world sleeps. When we wake to the morning sun, which we did nothing to produce, by the way, we thank God for seeing us through the night and for including us in his day that he already created and is at work within. And in the same, in the same way, the Sabbath day started at Friday night and went through Saturday sundown. So in short, just to sum up, Cohort kids, if you've got your notes and are taking notes, um, the Sabbath invites the people of God to take one day a week and strike a balance between ceasing from our labor and active worship of God. Now, that's what it was. Why would God give us that commandment? Why is this so important that it makes his top ten list, the Ten Commandments? I see four main reasons. It's an easy structure. Okay, four main reasons why God gave this commandment. First, as Americans, I thought I would start here. It's practical. (laughs) 
It's practical. That, I know that that sounds really boring, but think about it. Sleep seems kind of boring too, unless you're a parent of a newborn or a college student cramming for final exams or you're a small business owner trying to juggle getting bids and following up on calls and all the while trying to do your books at night and, oh yeah, doing the work that you actually like doing. In those moments, you know sleep isn't boring. It's divine. God designed humans and the whole created order. He knows what we need. And when he prescribes the Sabbath, it is a gift and it is necessary. The land needs rest. Beasts of burden need rest. People need rest. And we also need intentional connection with God. That's how we're designed. In cultures like ours that value multitasking and overtime and bigger, better, faster, more, it's no surprise that we have high rates of hypertension and anxiety and narcissism and addiction. We live like we are gods in the bodies of mortals, and then we get ticked off when we break down. We, it's just a recipe for disaster. And Sabbath is part of the cure because it rests us and focuses us on the one who really is God. Oh yeah, it's not me. It's Him. So Sabbath is gloriously practical. Second, God gave us Sabbath because he's a God of justice. There is no other law in the ancient world like Sabbath. None of the kings or queens or gods or goddesses, philosophies or religions of the ancient Near East or any ancient civilization to our knowledge had anything like Sabbath in terms of a day of rest once every seven days. It was unheard of. People used to call the Jews lazy. They weren't lazy just because they took the Sabbath day. The bigger surprise to me, though, is who was to practice Sabbath. Every Israelite and everyone under an Israelite's roof. That meant slaves, employees, animals, the land, foreigners who were not people of God, who were, though, visiting in the village of the Israelites. Such an egalitarian command was unheard of outside of God and his gracious gift of Sabbath. He's a God of justice. For six days a week, there was the usual strata in Jewish society. There was landowners and land workers. There were masters and slaves and men and women, adults and children, the haves and the have-nots. But on the Sabbath day, everyone was to rest. The masters had to let the slaves rest. Women rested from their domestic duties. Oxen rested from their labors. And the land was rested from plowing and sowing and harvesting and reaping or reshaping. Sabbath is a gift of justice, a reminder that God is the God of all people, not just the wealthy, not just the influential. He's the God of all creation, not just human beings. He's the God of justice and not exploitation. That's not part of his economy. Sabbath reminds us of that. The third reason I think God gave us Sabbath is to grow our relationship with him. We learn about God's heart through the way he is and through the way he calls us to live. The theological reason is given in verse 11. It's that we rest on the Sabbath day because God rested after six days of creation. N.T. Wright, quoting Old Testament scholar John Walton, writes, Walton insists that in the ancient world, anyone reading about something being built by a god in six days or six stages would know that it was basically a temple, 
a dwelling of the God himself or herself. And what the God would do after six days of construction was not simply stop working and have some time off. The God would enter the newly constructed house and rest there in the sense of taking up his ease, taking up residence, being at peace in his new home. This quote gives a new perspective on the Genesis Sabbath institution. If Walton is right, it has to do with the Creator's enjoyment of His world, His celebration of heaven and earth as a dwelling for Himself. Isn't that fascinating? That, that God would tell us His creation story in that way. Because those ancient readers, they're familiar with the Babylonian myths and how those gods created their temple to worship in in six days. The Assyrians and Sumerians. It's all how you wrote a creation story. God says, this is how I did it. I'm entering in now on the seventh day of my rest. But here's the fascinating thing. He doesn't just stick an idol in to the ground or into a, a, a structure, into a temple. He says, I want you to join me in this rest. I want to dwell with you. It's part of God's rest is being with you. And that's what Sabbath is for, is you and I being with him, enjoying creation together. God's rest on the seventh day isn't the type of rest envisioned by the exhausted laborer who struggles to make it the six days so I can take the day off and watch TV. As if God gets tired. It's not a model off God being tired. Like, he wasn't exhausted after the creation. Rest in the biblical sense has to do with enjoyment and purpose and relationship and that word that encompasses all peace, which is shalom. And you remember sometimes we say, uh, uh, copying Scott McKnight, that shalom is when you uh, have what you need and you need what you have, part one. Part two is when your neighbor has what he and she needs and needs what they have. So you cannot have shalom just for yourself. Your neighbor has to be living in shalom too. And that's what Sabbath points to, is this time of shalom where we are with God and people have what they need and need what they have together. God knows that we are prone to get confused about what is important in life, that you and I were people who get tunnel vision, and what's important is right in front of us. It's our job, it's our relationships, it's our iPhones or whatever phone you have, it's our sources of pleasure or pain. Those become paramount in our thinking because we have the capacity to give ourselves our love and our time and our energy. We also have the dangerous capacity to forget the one who gives us that capacity. God gives you the ability to give yourself in love. Is there any greater feeling? But then we can make it all about the feeling and forget the giver, right? Or God gives us the capacity to enjoy creation, but we make it about enjoying the creation. We forget the giver of that gift. We've gone awry, right? So Sabbath helps focus us on the good giver. The Sabbath is an invitation to live in reality, it's a day set aside to remember who God is and what God has done. To take, take stock and, and to reflect uh, with God about why you're here and what life is all about. I, I would say that like for me, when I, when I know I've gone too long without connection, it's when I realize that I'm doing all the right stuff that I know God's called me to do, but I forgot why I'm doing it. Like, you can only live off a prior calling for so long. And I need that reminder of why am I doing this again? Why is this important? I, I, I need the Lord. And so if I go too long in autopilot, I start to feel like, 
like a shell, like a phantom. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, where you're just like, what am I doing in life? Sabbath helps us reframe and remember why we're here, like what our vocation is as a human being. I think that idea is summed up well in this morning's prayer, if you've ever followed the book Common Prayer. Uh, It was in today's devotional. Um, Here it is. Thank you, Lord, for the abundance of blessings you shower upon us. Forgive us for the many ways we've turned your gifts into our achievements and so forgotten your generosity. Open our eyes to see that everything is a gift and that every gift is to be shared for your glory. Amen. Sorry, that's not the end of the sermon. Uh, but. So the Sabbath is practical, and it's an act of justice, and it's relational. Uh, but there's a fourth reason that God gives us the Sabbath. He gave it as a sign to point to something greater. I don't know about you, but I think in general, Christians often think of creation and the Garden of Eden as some kind of perfect state of being. It was good. The Bible then never says it's perfect. Actually, that's my one problem with the Jesus Storybook Bible that says it's perfect. That's, I would just cross that out. Uh, it's not perfect. It's good. Um, John Stackhouse, I've shared this one before, but John Stackhouse says uh, you can have an acorn and it can be beautiful and the most symmetrical acorn you've ever seen and it is very good, but it's not perfect because a perfect acorn is a mature oak tree. Right? Creation is so good and, and beautiful, and before sin came, uh, oh, it was God, what God wanted. But God didn't just want to create in the beginning and just leave everything static. He created for a purpose. His creation is to be, uh, to, to mature. And guess what? You and I have vocation in the creation. Like, we're created before the fall to work and to do good work, and to, to cultivate the earth, and to, uh, uh, to, to tame the wildness where it's out of control, um, to reflect God's benevolent reign, his beauty, his creativity, to create. That's what our vocation is. Now, you can see how all of that would go horribly wrong if we thought we could do that vocation better on our own. If we thought, we've got this, we don't need God. If we tried to usurp his authority and become our own gods, that's what Genesis 3 says that we did. Um, (laughs) And it doesn't work out too well. Like, look around. Shootings at malls and race-related violence still and the hijacking of religion for the advancement of violent ideologies. Look at our presidential nominees, for heaven's sake. I'm not trying to get political. It's a crazy sauce. The world is broken, and at the center of that brokenness is human rebellion and pride, and like the grossest thing is the pride is only matched by our ignorance. It's like we're so proud, and we have no clue what we're doing half of the time. The Sabbath is sacred time set aside to point to what is to come. 
a sign of shalom, a sign pointing to a day, to an age when God will dwell with his people, when his kingdom will come, and when his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It points to an age when we will be rightly rightly related to God, uh, where we will be at rest in the sense of not striving. It points to a time when we will actually trust, as we should now, that God is God and that He's got things under control. We will be free in that age from sin and death, but also from those nagging anxieties about provision, about fitting into our own skin, let alone to our own world. And it points to an age of justice, an age where we will be righteous, and there will be righteousness for the earth and for animals and for the land. For, uh, Paul says in his letters to the Romans, or his letter to the Romans, that uh, creation groans as it waits for the coming of this age. And there will be justice among people between races and genders and social strata. Tied to the Sabbath is the sabbatical year every seven years and the year of Jubilee every 50th, a year when slaves are set free. Land is returned to its original owners. Debts are canceled. A true year of celebration of the freedom we have in God. So in short, the Sabbath points forward to the kingdom of God. How then do we practice the Sabbath? Well, first, let's look at how people did practice the Sabbath. As we've seen, the commandment is twofold. Cease working and start worshiping. It's kind of the two things that you do on on Sabbath. Uh, The problem is the term work isn't defined anywhere in the Scripture. Uh, Is this just a prohibition against uh, work that earns a paycheck or work uh, that is anything? Like, can you do gardening because that could be considered work? Or, uh, you know, can you volunteer at your kid's school or uh, in the community? Or is that work? Or, or Or is it something different? The Ten Commandments uh, all of them kind of assume some common sense. You, you have small children at home, you're not going to have a spa day on the Sabbath. I'm sorry, you're, you're going to change poopy diapers like the other six days and probably be woken up in the middle of the night. If you're a, a nomadic uh, shepherding people like the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, you've still got to wake up at four in the morning and milk your, your goats because if you've ever lived on a farm and you don't milk the lactating animals, well, you know what happens. Bad things happen. You have to do the chores. But common sense isn't good enough for some people, and the Pharisees in particular figured out ways to clearly define the laws of Sabbath for us, they're so generous, and they invented regulations that they thought would help prevent people from breaking the Sabbath. Things like, you shall not walk 1,000 yards, more than 1,000 yards on the Sabbath day. Like, that's not in the Bible, uh, but that's one of the things that they taught. Um, But they also taught that if you had, you could walk a thousand yards to a place that was your dwelling place. And if you did that, then you got another thousand yards you could walk. So people would actually space out little meals, like little lunch boxes, if they had to walk more than a thousand yards so that they could get around that commandment. Things like not carrying things in your hands. So, oh, I left my tunic on the couch again. My wife's mad at me, so I got to put it in the closet. I can't. It's the Sabbath day. You could technically put it on because you could wear things. You just couldn't carry them with your hands. So you could put them on, walk to the closet, take it off, and hang it up. And that's how people would get away from that one. You weren't supposed to spit on the ground, the Pharisees said, because it could, be, it could hit the ground and cause clay, which would then bake in the sun, and you would be making a brick. But you could spit on a rock, 
which I don't get that because why kids, you shouldn't spit at all. That's rude. (laughs) Say, hear me out. The Sabbath is a gift of God pointing to the age of his salvation. It's to be a celebration, a ceasing of work for the sake of worship and connection with God. People practice it in various ways over the centuries, and many Orthodox Jews continue to practice Sabbath today from Friday night to Saturday night. But what about Christians? Do we just move the Friday night to Saturday night Sabbath over to Sunday? Is that, is that what we do? And this is where the research gets super interesting. This is where I've been surprised by Sabbath. The early Christians were Jews who began to follow Jesus, who himself was a Jew. Yet in our earliest Christian writings, biblical and extra-biblical, we have zero evidence that disciples of Jesus kept the Sabbath in the way that the Jews kept the Sabbath. We know that they gathered for worship on Sundays because that was the day that the Lord rose from the dead on the eighth day. So they would gather on what they called the Lord's Day. They didn't call it the Sabbath. But in the Roman Empire, Sunday was a work day. Like, they knew that the Jews had this six-day work week thing, but if you're a Roman slave who became a convert to Christianity, the Romans didn't care. Uh, You didn't get the day off on Sunday. So Christians would gather in the morning to hear the Word of God proclaimed, to read the Scripture together, and most importantly, to take communion together. And they would gather early and then go to work on Sundays. Interesting. It wasn't until the 4th century A.D., when the emperor Constantine made Christianity an officially recognized and majority religion, that Christians began to shift the meaning of Sabbath from Saturday in the Jewish context to Sunday. Now, I'm going to say something. I want you to stay, stick with me because I'm going to bring it. I'm going to bring it around. Okay. So, I think moving the Sabbath to Sunday was a big mistake. And I've been surprised by Sabbath in studying this passage. And I believe it is a gross misunderstanding of Sabbath to simply move it to Sunday or to any other particular day of the week. And here's why. Earlier in the service, Corey read the scripture from Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. And at the end of that account, Jesus enters a synagogue and heals a man with a withered hand, Literally, it says he restored the man's withered hand. Now, why is that significant? Because he had a withered hand. And what is a withered hand? I mean, Chad's a doctor. I doubt he's seen withered hand in the medical manuals. Um, You might see deformed hands, mangled by an accident, leprous, broken. These are common things in the ancient world. But withered, withered wasn't in the medical journals. (laughs) Withered is a term that the prophets used to describe disobedient Israel, that their land would be dried up, that their plants would wither, that Israel, the vineyard of God, would be withered up. Sabbath, the sign pointing to God's future rescue, the day of his rest, his coming kingdom, his restoration of withered Israel. Okay? Sabbath pointed to the restoration of withered Israel. The prophets say this. So could it be that Jesus, by healing this withered hand on the Sabbath, is pointing to the fact that, hey, you know all that stuff Sabbath is pointing to, it just is coming true in me. That I am the 
the Lord of the Sabbath, which he says in that passage, that I am the fulfillment of Sabbath, that I, in my ministry, in my person, am all the good news that the Sabbath has been pointing to. And guess what? It's here. I'm here. And that's why I'm doing these crazy things on Sabbath. I think that's exactly what it means, which begs the question then, how do we follow this commandment as followers of Jesus on this side of history, this side of the cross? If Sabbath was a practice that aimed at Jesus and Jesus has come, then Sabbath, the way it was, is no longer needed. In fact, to keep the old Sabbath regulations would be to insult the incarnation of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, and the reign of Jesus. It would be like saying, uh, <laughs> that's cool, Jesus, that you did that and that you're here and everything, but we'll just keep on waiting for something better. At the communion table, for example, where you receive the bread and cup as reminders of what Jesus did, giving his life for our salvation. And we believe that in this sacrament, somehow mysteriously, heaven and earth kiss in this moment. We believe that in this sacrament, there's a foretaste of heaven. Now, how crazy would it be if Jesus were to come back and say, I'm returned and my kingdom is coming in full. And I'm like, awesome, want to worship with us? Have a seat. And I go over here and I start to say the words of institution on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, and then I, and then he, uh, actually, I, I didn't say it like that. I said it in Hebrew. Uh, you know, if you, you see, how crazy would it be if I just kept going on with this symbol that points to the day when we'd be with Jesus if he's sitting right here? That would be ludicrous. It'd be like, Okay, we should just have a receiving line where we all get in line to hug Jesus. We don't need this stuff anymore when he comes. And that's kind of what's going on here with the Sabbath. The Sabbath is pointing to the day when the kingdom would break into our world. And with Jesus, what did he say? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. Am I telling us this evening that we should break one of the Ten Commandments? May it never be may it never be. Rather, what I am saying is that the Sabbath pointed to a new age, and that new age has begun. It's not here in full. It has begun in the incarnation and the death and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And as disciples of Jesus, what I am saying is that Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath day and inaugurated, kids, that's began, <laughs> the Sabbath time or the Sabbath age. So, what does that mean for you and me? I think it means that we should be people marked by our joy, marked by our healthy rhythms of work and rest and worship and social engagement. Sabbath is, uh, uh, Sabbath time is the life of the Christian. It is a lifestyle that will certainly, it has to, include days of rest, regular times of worship, both individually and as a body. And you know what? I need structure in my life, so it's going to make, it's, it's a day for me. Friday is typically my Sabbath day. You probably won't get through to me if you call me on a Friday, or I won't check my email on a Friday, so don't get frustrated if I've not responded to you on a Friday. That, that's the day where I just unplug and rest and spend time with my kids and my family. Okay, so I need that because I'm not disciplined enough to just live in this free-flowing. Maybe you are, but what I don't think is that there's a command that says you've got to do it on this day and in this way. Okay? I take that time because I know that I need it. And that's what Sabbath should be for us, is a gift. Here it is. Practice it. It works. 
in a world that's getting busier and more connected with our smartphones and our tablets, in a world where economies are more competitive than ever, followers of Jesus are called to be Sabbath people. People with the courage to tell their boss, you know what, this is too much. You've been asking for overtime three weeks in a row. I can't. My kids are only this age for this long, or my body is breaking down, or I've got other relationships besides you, workplace. And that takes courage, especially when there's younger, hungrier people who are willing to do that job. Where will we stand as Sabbath people? Bosses, you need to have courage to create healthy, sustainable work hours and working environments for people. You... You're a Sabbath person, and we need to work at this together. I know that margins are tight, and the, uh, the competitors are working their people crazy. Could it be that God would bless us if we took him seriously on this Sabbath lifestyle? Families and individuals, we need courage to trust that the rest and worship are, uh, are more life-giving and obedient to Jesus uh, than skipping church at any opportunity we have to just get out of town and unplug and escape. Sabbath is more than escapism. Hey, I love a good vacation. I take them regularly throughout the year. It, it's an important part of our rhythms. But some of us are just too free. We think that by running away and escaping all the time, we are going to get filled up. And I'm telling you, this is where we get filled up, whether you, it seems like it or not. This is what we need to to be with the people of God. Now, thanks be to God that Jesus has overcome the world. He's overcome our sin. He's inaugurated the age of Sabbath. And our job as his disciples is to reflect his reign on earth before it comes in full. Like, we're the advanced team. We get to tell the world, hey, guess what? There's this age coming in full later on, and I'm here to give you a foretaste of what it's like. In just a moment, uh, because this is the fourth Sunday of the month, we're going to transition to our healing prayer time. And uh, that's simply a recognition that we serve a God who hears and answers prayer. So Jeannie and I will be up at these kneeling benches. Uh, Christine, Ryan, and Lori will be playing some beautiful music. And you can come forward for prayer if you like, if you have a joy or a sorrow or, or, or a need of healing of some sort. Um, or you can stay where you're at and, and enjoy the music and ponder maybe what, what does it mean to be thriving in this Sabbath age that we're living in. Let me close with this thought as we transition from uh, Matthew chapter 11. What Jesus just says, come to me, come to me, all you who are weary and have overburdened yourselves. I will give you rest. Take my yoke my way upon you and learn from me don't learn from the world don't learn from religion don't learn from spirituality learn from me for i'm gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls said jesus